So you hear something about mission statements and, and, and it's good. And again, like I said, if you are going to hang out at Veritas Church, we're going to talk about this a lot. I mean, we shamelessly hold to a book that's about 2000 years old. All scriptures breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, training, and correcting in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped. And we'll shamelessly go back to this book because we believe it's true. We believe it's living. We believe it's active. Okay? And so this is a habit of so many organizations. We have a mission statement. How do we condense that? And how do we live it out? Or how do we speak about it? And so we've summed it up this way. And I'll tell you a secret. I was part of a church in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and they had a mission statement too. And though the words were different, it kind of said exactly the same thing. But it's important. It's important for us because why, why are we here as a church? Why are we here as an organization? What is the purpose of Veritas Church? What is the purpose of us being in Urbana? What is the purpose of us reaching out to the communities? And there's that question for us where we say, what is our purpose? But like, what is your purpose? I mean, what, why did you come today? Why, why are you here? Like, what are you hoping to get out of this? Some of you have, you know, I've been here six-ish months. I'm starting to kind of get an idea like, okay, they come almost weekly. Okay, I don't think I know the person. I'm kind of new here too, if you're new here. So I'm trying to like get my feet on the ground here even still. And I was just talking to somebody about how frustrating it is to just not know. And I'm like, I just want to know. I just want to learn. But I have to learn. It's a process, right? And so why why are you here? Are you hoping to appease God in some way? Are you hoping to, if you give him a day, he'll give you a good week? Or do you attend church out of tradition? Uh, This is what you do. Sunday morning, we get up. We go to church. We might eat out. Or we rush home for the NFL, Right? Or maybe you watched all your football yesterday, right? It's a tradition. It's what we do. Uh, Or perhaps um, you're here to manipulate God. Kind of another negative example too, but again, kind of along the lines of like, well, God, I gave you my Sunday morning. Like I could have been mowing the yard. Uh, I could have been um, hanging out with my kids. I could have watched the pregame show. Why, Why are you here? Like what is your purpose here? And... I hope you'll buy in a little bit to our purpose as we go into this. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to go through uh, Ephesians chapter 4 a little bit together. And again, like this isn't, I don't want you to ever go, I don't want you to ever come. Like as your campus pastor, I don't want you to say to your neighbor like, man, Veritas Church, it changed me. (laughs) Because Veritas Church can't do a thing to you. I cannot change anything about you. This staff cannot change or transform anything about you. This school is going to do nothing for you. It's 1,000% the Holy Spirit at work within you. Okay, so whether or not you're here or whether or not you're there, it's the Lord working in you. He works through his word. He does work through his body, the church. But it is God who moves. It is God who works in and through people. It's not just Veritas. Veritas is a simple lever, a tool that God might use in your life. But it's important to realize what the church is or who we are. We're a body of believers. God moves into our heart and we desire to know God better, or we should. Okay, and this is a key point that I want us to grasp, Veritas, is that this isn't just about I know God now, I have to be a moral person have to stop swearing. I shouldn't watch that junk garbage. 
That's, that's a very minuscule percentage of what a church is about. A church is a body of people. It's a group of people that has found a leader. His name is Jesus Christ. And we want to love him. We want to serve him. We want to give ourselves to him because he gave himself for us. That is what the picture of the church is. And so God has equipped this church with varying gifts. Every single one of you. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit has moved into your soul. And he's given you a gift to apply. And to the church, he's given some specific gifts. So again, I'm not covering all the gifts. Hear me say that, okay? But I'm covering a few here. So if you go with me to Ephesians 4, we are going to start in verse 11. Verse 11 says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the status of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, or deceitful schemes. And you see this picture here of growth. And that's kind of what I'm going to want to fixate on here today. Is this picture of growing up. Growing up into maturity. And so we all have these gifts. And a few of them that are mentioned here are for the equipping of the saints. Right? You have a gift. I'm sure of it. If you are in Jesus Christ. And you add to the body of Christ. But to the body of Christ as a whole. These gifts have been given. And they've been given for a reason, this text says, and that is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And we're going to get into the work of the ministry here in a little bit. But it's equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Right? And this is a reoccurring theme that I want to come back to time and time again. What is your job? Okay? That in your mind. That is not your purpose. Your job is not your purpose. Your job is not your purpose. Your kids, if you have kids, are not your purpose. Your kids are not your purpose. Your spouse, they are not your purpose. You exist for God, first and foremost, right? And then your view of God, it permeates how you love your spouse, how you pursue your spouse, how you challenge your spouse. Okay? But you exist for God. You don't exist for a paycheck. Okay? Insert farming, insert plumbing, insert electrical, insert office labor. Okay? That, those are, those are not first, those are not second. They shouldn't be. Your first thing is God. You exist for God. And so this picture of the church is us trying to grow in our godliness. Again, not first growing even in our morality. It's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, to grow our knowledge of God and to act out of our knowledge of God. These gifts are given for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry, for the building of this body of Christ, so that we obtain faith and we obtain knowledge in the Son of God. To maturity. Okay, so 1 Peter 2, verses 2 through 3 talks about it this way. Again, this maturity, this growing up. 
Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into your salvation. There's this picture of us being newly born in John chapter 3. As a Christian, you might be 60 years old and have just come to faith in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, you're wearing a whole different kind of diaper, okay? You are 60 years old and you are three months old in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're new. You're new, okay? Again, I was just talking to somebody about how frustrating it is to like not know all of you yet. Or not know how many of you are visiting yet. Because I don't recognize all of you yet. And I just want to know. I just want to be done. I just want to know it. But it's a learning experience. You know, as a lot of your kids, they went into school, right? And when I would always get my math book, I'd always kind of flip to the back. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. Oh, my gosh. They put vowels in the math problems? Are you kidding me? Right? And you just were like, I don't want to learn, right? My heart seizes and I die behind my desk, right? Apparently I didn't. Um, But there's a journey, okay? There's a journey in faithfulness, much like an infant. I've got a friend who yesterday ran an Ironman, or they're doing it today. I wouldn't say to my three-month-old, hey, you're doing it, 25 miles, let's go. It would be absurd. And so it is with your faith. You don't know all the stuff. I don't know all the stuff. It's a growth, but as a beginning, like that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And we start this journey. God awakens our heart and we start to know, God, who are you? Because I've been God my whole entire life and now I I get to learn about you. I get to be in relationship with you. And it's a journey. Some of you need to give yourself a break. I mean, not to sin, but to grow. It's going to take some reading. It's going to take some practicing. Oftentimes, if you're like me, it takes failure. You screw up. You make mistakes. You learn. You lean into grace and mercy, and you try again. We grow much like a child. Don't view it as some kind of a scientific thing. Don't view it as some ethereal idea out there, but it's, it's coming up from within you. Your heart has been transformed, and we as a church want to see mature disciples. We want you to grow in your godliness. We don't want you, it says there at the very end, if you go back to Ephesians, it talks about not being tossed about by human cunning, by every wind of doctrine. Guys, there's so much crud out there. There's so many books by terrible authors. There's so much wrong theology on YouTube and on the TV. And we want you to go and we want you to have an ability to read the word and love your Savior and say like, hey, that, that's not good stuff. We should shut it off. And when the waves of this world come in through our communities, through our schools, through our state, through our nation, we want you to hold fast to the kingdom that never fails, that never changes. Because it's believable and it's trustworthy. We want to be anchored. We want to grow your awareness of who you are. You don't trust what you don't know. And the more you know God, the more you'll trust him. We want you to lean in. We want you to grow and, that, and that's why Paul says in chapter 4, let's go back to chapter 4, let's start in verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, 
there, here's the word again. As we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. It's not just about reading your Bible. It will start to permeate your life and it'll permeate your decisions. It'll permeate your entertainment. Some of you get saved and you just take off and you're like, I read the New Testament this week. And I'm like, wow, uh, can I have some of what you have, you know? Even where I'm at is you go through dry seasons, right? And you read the New Testament, but then it's the application. But praise God that you're reading the scriptures. A fight to apply it to your life, right? We grow up in this truth into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, all of us, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I was working on a concrete crew when I was 18 or 19, and we were changing out the deck boards on a trailer. And if, you know, you got wood boards, you've got a steel frame, and you've got cross members. And then you stick uh, carriage bolts through so you have a smooth deck. Well, sometimes if you're on the bottom of a trailer in northern Minnesota, they use salt on the roads. And so the chances of unscrewing the bolt, it ain't going to happen. So you take a grinder. And it produces metal flecks. And I was underneath the trailer trying to jockey some stuff around and I got a piece of metal in my eye. And let me tell you, I have not experienced anything so painful in all my life. And of course, it had to take a few minutes to get my foreman to take me to the doctor. But I'm like, I can't even function. Like there's water running out of my half of my face. My nose is running like I'm losing control of my life. But there was an issue with my eye, and it affected all of my body. I could barely walk. I could barely balance as we went to the pickup. I had to have help. I had to have help getting out of the pickup. And they take it, and they swab your eye, and you're like, oh, that's all it was. It's a pretty small speck there. But I was ruined. And you have this picture that's so eloquently spoken of in a number of places in Scripture about this body working together. You and I are called by God, saved by God. God moves into your heart one day when you're doing something. And then it's like, am I following God or am I not following God? And I have a brother in Christ who says to me, man, you seem to be struggling in this area, right? And we're unified in Christ, so I take his pushing, his encouragement, and I'm like, I need to work in that area. Will you hold me accountable? You know, I need this body. We need to be jointed together, held together by every joint, which is equipped, right? It's the job of the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We're all heading for Jesus, I hope. And I need you to pursue me for areas in my life that I am not following Jesus Christ. I've got some sweet spots. I love to work in these areas. I see success and I don't want to work in those areas. And I need friends. I need connection group members. I need fellow elders to say, Matthew, thank God for what he's doing here. Let's take this and let's apply it here. I need that. That's a healthy church and I need to equip you. We need to equip, be equipped to do that work, to push towards Jesus Christ, to call one another out lovingly, speaking the truth in love. He says it right there. Let's not separate truth and love. And let's not separate love from truth. Okay? That's a dangerous spot to be in. I'm going off my notes here, so this is also dangerous. Okay? 
If you just talk truth, right, you're going to be mean and grouchy and cruel. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And if you're just love, you might think this, I wouldn't call this love, but you might be like, you just do you. You're just great. No matter what you do, you're great. You're awesome. But there's this huge problem in your life. And so it's a mixture of both truth. Like I, I love you enough to confront you. I love you enough to walk alongside you. And I love you enough to say, this needs to be addressed. To lean in. We as a church need to grow in maturity. And how beautiful is it for us as a new church? Because we don't have any traditions here. Some of you know each other from other past lives, right? But this is a new page. Let's make this our tradition. That we lovingly speak truth to one another. That we lean into the Bible, the scriptures. That we participate in the church, like where we grow up in our faith. We might be 60, but spiritually we might be zero or two. You might be 30, but you might be spiritually four. You cannot expect a four-year-old to act like a 30-year-old. You cannot expect a four-month-old to act like they're 60. Okay? So that's a, uh, that's a huge thing. It's a huge thing that I learned in, as a Christian. Because you have a, assumptions for somebody where they're at, and they're not there. But they can grow, and that's a picture of church. The church being equipped, growing up in faith, right? So as we grow, we want to overflow. Okay, we want to overflow. I mean, do you remember? Maybe your kids haven't done it yet, but maybe they will. They come home and they learn something new and they're like, Mom, Mom, I got to tell you this. Can you believe this? And they, they go on and tell you. Or perhaps you have something exciting happen in your life. And you come back and you're like, I just want to share this with my family. Like, this happened. It's awesome. Or you go on a trip and you're like, world, I want you to see what I'm seeing right now because I can't believe it, Right? And that's the picture of what it looks like to go out as an everyday missionary. Of like, I can't believe God saved me. I can't believe how he's growing me. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and he made me alive. Unbelievable. And you start talking like that to your neighbor, and certainly they think at first you're a little bit crazy, or maybe you're drunk. That's okay. They thought that of the disciples as well. They were blown away. By God, like this is the picture of sending out everyday missionaries. I grew up in a church where historically Tuesday you would go out and you would share the gospel. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Okay, maybe we should do that. I don't know. But we would do that. And then on Wednesday you had kind of a, you know, t-shirt and jeans Sunday service, right? Wednesday was kind of loosey-goosey, okay? But... um for us, it's this picture of like, I don't have an agenda when I'm coming to my neighbor, but I can freely talk about the work of God in my life. But guys, I can't help but remember in John chapter four, there's this picture of a woman. She comes to the well at noon. Why? Because the locals treat her like garbage. And Jesus is there and he's like, hey, can I have a drink? And she's like, well, I mean, you know, I mean, anything to draw with. Like, what are you doing here? Why are you even talking to me? You're a religious nut job. And Jesus is like, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink. And she's like, well, that I want. Okay, whatever. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> but then um, 
At one point, Jesus is like, hey, go call your husband. She's like, yeah, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the person you're living with now, they're not your husband, right? This is the reason why this woman was coming to the well at noon. And she immediately says, I don't want to talk about me. Let's talk about worship. We'll talk about Bible reading. We'll talk about versions of the Bible. Let's talk about cults. Did you hear about that cult? And Jesus redirects her. And the testimony that she shares with all her neighbors, and this relates to us, small town America, right? Because you know about the gossip, you know everybody knows, right? And she runs back to her small town and she says to them, hey, come and see the man that told me everything I ever did. And in verse 39, it says that many Samaritans were saved because of the woman's testimony, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. She was excited about Jesus. Here, this religious ruler, this person accepted me. He spoke to me. It's like he trusted in God and he engaged me. And he told me about my sin. And he told me about a relationship, a water that is better than relationships. And that was the essence of her gospel. And her proclamation wasn't not, wasn't receive Jesus, receive Jesus, do it. Pray, pray with me. Let's go. I've got time. Like, we got to go. Her message was like, someone told me everything I ever did. Come and meet him. And the people came in droves to meet Jesus Christ because of that testimony, right? Missions should flow out of the overflow of your growth in Jesus Christ. Are you excited about God? I mean, really. Are you? it flow out of your mouth? When was the last time you said to anybody, your spouse, your children, I just read this today. It blows my mind. Let's skip past sunsets and sunrises. It's easier to say, but look at, look at God. Wow. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. I say it a lot myself. Are you excited? Are you wooing your children or your neighbor to something you're excited about? Mission should flow out of us. And whether we're in Thailand or whether we're in China or whether we're in the Dominican Republic or Romania, it should flow out of us. If we're not doing it here, why do we go there? Mission should be an overflow. We have this invitation from our Savior to proclaim who he is. Go to Matthew chapter 28. I know you've heard this before, but we have to talk about this one. Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, as a result of this, go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us, go convert Urbana. Go, do it. But it says, I will convert Urbana. Through the faithful workings of my people, through the scared people, through the introverts, through the extrovert, who proclaims that God is worth following. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. And the neighbors are like, what? I thought God would just judge me. I'm so covered in shame. There's an invitation for us to come alongside, to be used by Christ. Perhaps this is less about us 
converting our towns and our neighbors and our state and our nation, and more about do we believe that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Christ? Do we believe that Christ is with us? When you go and lean over your fence to speak to your neighbor about the gospel, will God go with you? When you sit at Thanksgiving, it's coming up here, with those people, I mean family, who don't agree with you politically, who don't agree with you about the environment, who don't agree with you about raising children or about the education system, is God with you? We have this calling to trust the Lord and spread his fame. And he goes with us. We get to walk alongside our Savior. We get to proclaim, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. He changed my life. He's worth following. It's crazy to think that I follow Jesus, but you can follow him too. Our neighbors don't know the gospel. They don't understand that hope is not found in this world. It's anchored in their job. It's anchored in their marriage on good days. It's anchored in their kids' success. And it ain't about their kids. It ain't about their marriage. And it certainly isn't about their job. We as created beings are called to worship the Father. And our neighbors don't know that. I mean, we're even struggling with it, and we know it. I struggle with this. How much hope can I offer them when I proclaim the salvation of God? Romans 10, verse 14 and 15 says, through 15 says this. The heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and saved. There's work in your heart, and then your mouth talks, right? For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks. For the same Lord, he's Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I'd love to preach through this, but we can't, okay? This is a loaded text. But there's a reality in our world, especially in the United States, that a lot of people have a a vague knowledge of religion, but they don't know who Jesus Christ is. Certainly, they've heard the name, or they say it when they drop a hammer on their toe, yes. But they don't know Jesus. Certainly they've heard of a pastor, they've heard of a priest, they've heard of some form of liturgy, but they don't know Jesus. And so we as a church, like, maybe we should challenge ourselves not to just smile and nod when they mention Jesus. Maybe we should teach them to observe all that he commanded them. Leaning into this person, right? That's what the Great Commission calls us to, like to teach them to observe, right? And the first thing I would argue that Jesus calls us to observe is God. God, follow God. You know, a lot of us, again, we come to this Christianity and we're like, okay, I can't swear anymore. I shouldn't look at that stuff anymore. I should be honest. All good things. But follow, follow the Lord. 
So you go to a church or you're a religious person. How are you doing in his word? Isn't it awesome what he says in his word? Are they, are they reading the Bible? Are they a part of a community that encourages them, that challenges them? This is the message that we are called. And some of them don't even know Jesus. Yes, they say the name all day long. But they don't have a working relationship with their Savior. They don't understand that we're called to glorify him. And that's kind of the final point of our mission statement, right? We want to make mature disciples. We want to send out everyday missionaries that overflow like, God is God. I'm not, and he saved me. I want to proclaim that to our city, to our neighbors, to our towns. And I want to do it to glorify God. And I confess on social media this week, again, I heard the concept of glorifying God wrongly. It is not an accolade. Hey, I ran a race or I passed a test and I earned a badge. And God, I want to give you a little badge because I know you were there. Glorifying God begins in your soul. It begins in the depths of who you are. It isn't that you won and then you give glory to God. It's the fact that the the ability to run was a gift from him. Glorify God in your running. Glorify God in your steps. Glorify God. Now, again, I think there's some of you who might be like, okay, is this like uh, every step? Okay, glorify God. Glorify God. If you have to go that way, do it. But the point is, You didn't win the race and then give God glory. It's in the race that God is glorified. What are you racing for? So it might not have to do with marathons or 5Ks or walking a block, which is more my style, okay? But this is life. It permeates how you speak. It permeates how you love. It permeates the things that you find entertaining, That I I exist not for my spouse, not for my kids, not to survive in the American culture and economy. I exist for God. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 7, it's not up on your screen, says this. For who sees anything different in you? There's a context. You should read it. And then Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? Like, what is it that we boast in? That we figured God out? Because that wasn't us. Even when it comes, again, to walking. Like, did you say to your mother when you were in the womb, hey, mom, I'd like two legs. I hear everyone else has them. Got, mom, I want this little tube in my ear. This blows my mind. That will help me balance so I don't fall over. Mom, I want to live 80 days. Or 80 years. 80 days, that's tough. 80 years. Can you make that happen? She can't make it happen. It's a gift. It's a gift. Mom, I want the ability to speak. God gives the ability to speak. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's what the Lord says to Moses. I make speech. I take away speech. I make sight. I take away sight. He's God. He's the Lord. There's no one above him. And we're called to rely on him. We're called to trust him. We're called to display him to the world. If you go to Colossians chapter 3... As you guys get to know me, you will know that Colossians is my favorite book in the entire Bible. And I would love to tell you the story sometime, but I can't. Colossians 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You're growing in maturity. You're learning the word. Teaching and admonishing one another. Singing psalms and hymns 
and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, it isn't just church. It isn't after the race that you're saying, oh, and yay, Jesus. Yay, Jesus, I got the touchdown. It's your existence. My existence relies fully on God. I did not keep myself alive last night. I was sleeping. God kept my heart going. I woke up kind of sane, I think. God did that. God gives life. He wrote out my, the number of my days before the foundations of the earth. God woke me up this morning. And one day he won't. My brother-in-law was 42 years old. Those were all the days of his life that God wrote out. And God was glorified in that. And God was glorified in his life. Is he glorified in our life? And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, and whatever you do, whether you're eating or whether you're drinking, and I don't think it's about eating or drinking. He's talking about the minuscule tasks of the day. I need to eat and drink. It's, it's everything to me, especially eating. But anyways, um, I need that. And in the mundane, everyday things, what is my purpose? Am I glorifying God? You know what I would hate for us to do as a church? I would hate for us to try to raise up mature disciples and not glorify God. I would hate for the process to be a rogue experiment of truth without love. I would hate for us to just do it. We want to get you from point A to point B. Three months, you'll be there. Shut up, cooperate. It'll be great. That's not God glorifying. I would hate for us as a church to go out having this head knowledge of God and going and saying to our neighbor, well, basically you're an idiot because you don't know the stuff I know. And you need to. I would hate for us to go out and proclaim the gospel, be sent out as everyday missionaries and not glorify God. The very ability to approach your neighbor is something that God gives you. And some of you might use the excuse then saying, well, apparently God's not given it to me. Well, no, he's called you to it. And he said he'll go with you. Go. But I hate to be a church that we worship and we don't glorify God, that we show up and we don't glorify God, that we pick resources for our resource center and it's not God glorifying because that is our purpose. I would hate for us to walk away from this building transformed and say, hey, Veritas did this. No, we can't do any of that. It's God. I'd hate for us to be a place that gathers and talks a lot about God and learns a lot about the Bible and doesn't glorify God. We want to be a church that totally relies. Our ability to set up chairs or take chairs down is a gift from God. Glorify him. May everything we do permeate the glorify God. You think you're out on a soccer field for no purpose? It's to actually glorify God. And I'm saying this to you, even if you're 12 or 13 or 16, your calling, glorify God. Get it earlier than I got it. Glorify God. That's your call. It's not in pastoral ministry. It's not in being an adult. Glorify God, students. And us as adults, like may we catch up 
Or may we lean in. You think your, your neighbors are your neighbors because you moved next to them? No. God put you there. Glorify God. I would hate for us to disconnect. And so here's the point I want you to grasp today. What do, you, what do I do? Okay. What do I do with a mission statement like this? Well, I would invite you to be equipped. Be equipped. Share what you learn with everyone and glorify God in the process. I don't know how to delude that one or change it, right? Be equipped, lean in, okay? The old church, I should mention, didn't necessarily have meetings six days a week. They definitely may have met more because of where the people were at, right? But like a 10 church, put value on it. Read good books. There's a resource center. We're biased towards the material that we put in there. We won't put any authors in there that we don't like. And we're zealous over that because we want you to have good truth. Read good books. I would love for some of you to get become a part of this church. If you're visiting with us or you're in a couple weeks, yeah, hang out for a few weeks. But some of you have been around now for a while. And it's time for you to step forward. Step forward. There's a class called Starting Point. I referenced it. I want you to lean into community. I want to, you to come from here in your faith to here in your faith, if God wills. I want to have a part in pushing you forward. I want to be a body of Christ that can speak truth in love to one another. Challenge us. I want to grow in my faith because of you. I want us to be maybe here or here, and I want us to move to there or there as we go. As we spend years together, I want us to be in community. So get into starting point. And then there's launch point. Get into launch point. I know it's tough on some of you, but there's purpose behind it. There's a goal behind it to live in authentic community. And a lot of us have been a part of churches forever. And we have no community and we wouldn't possibly think about opening up to anybody ever. That's not the church. Are you a part of it? Lean in. More so, read your Bible. I forgot to get our new Bible cards, so they're not here today. But we have a Bible reading plan. We want people in the Word. You don't need to be at church all the time. You don't need to be at connection group all the time. You don't need to be in every form of Bible study. But you need to be in the Word. It is more important than all those things. Are you in the Word? Those are steps you can take. And folks... All this stuff is made possible through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has died for our sin. Jesus Christ has made a way for the Father. It isn't that religion is about learning more about this new God, this new person. It's that you get to have relationship with him because of the work of Christ. You get to grow in your maturity because of the work of Christ. You're invited to the table. You're invited to the family because of the work of Christ. And today we're going to celebrate that in communion. We're going to celebrate the fact that we're in a community because of the work of Jesus Christ. We're part of a church that points us to Jesus and wants to continually point us to Jesus to see us transformed more into his likeness. And we're part of a church that gets to spread hope when the world is so stinking hopeless. We have hope because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to pray. And then I would encourage you to examine your hearts. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? 
Is Jesus Christ permeating your heart? Sure, you might be zero. You might be two. You're not perfect. I'm older in my faith. I was saved in the fall of 2006. I don't know it all. I'm still growing. Are you growing in your faith? Is there sin that is separating you from God? Not that you've lost your salvation, but sin creates a rift between you and God. Address it because of the cross and take communion. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful to you for your church. God, I'm grateful for a body of people who want to follow Jesus, Lord. And I can't help but think of those who might be here out of tradition. God, this is what they do on Sunday mornings. Lord, I pray that you'd come alive to them. God, that you would awaken their soul as only you can do. You would begin to transform their life, God. And I pray that you would use us. God, I think of us as elders, God, that we wouldn't take our job lightly. But God, that we would be in awe and, and of you and that we would teach well, God, that we would mature your saints to do the work of the ministry, that they would feel equipped, God, to love you well first and then love others well. God, I pray that we would have an impact in our towns, Urbana, in Vinton, Alvernet, Troy Mills, Walker, Center Point. God, that we would see our purpose and our calling not to our jobs, not even to our families, but to you first, and then to our spouses, and then to our children, and then to our neighbor. Or even before our neighbor, even to our church. God, grow us closer to you. God, prepare our hearts. God, reveal sin in our life. God, may we confess it before taking communion. In Jesus' name we pray.